Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This episode, the gang is back together for, again to talk about Nyssa and how she relates to the real-world topic of burnout. We want to apologize somewhat for having been on hiatus for the past month, but as some of you might know, we've just been dealing with a lot of very important life changes. We talk about those a little bit in the episode, so stay tuned, you know, listen for those, and, you know, uh, we appreciate your understanding as we go forward with this new phase of Goblin Lore. Not much has changed, but we have grown wiser, older, and hopefully sillier. So, without any further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. In today's episode, we talk about uh, Nissa's backstory um, and the topic of, of burnout. Uh, but first, let's have my co-hosts introduce themselves and answer the question, how do you best like to treat yourself? I am Joe Redman. You can find me on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. And uh, treat yourself. Truly, genuinely, just taking a nice, long, hot bath. Uh, I'm, I'm always rushing out the door in the morning because I just have a lot of stuff to do between you know making coffee and putting on my 9,000 layers of clothes to go out and deliver the mail that I just, you know, I'm lucky if I can run through the shower really quick. So whenever I have time, I, I really like to have a, a, a bath and like, I don't know, put on like ambient music or Netflix or something. That's, that's, that's my treat myself. That's a very sweethearted treat yourself. I like that. I treat myself. So, right. yeah. So I'm Hobbs Q. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hobbskew. Um, I like to treat myself in a couple of ways. If we're going to talk about a true treat yourself in the style of Parks and Rec, where you just do not pay attention to the money at all, I really like <laughs> to go on a vacation of some sort. I mean, I, I really like to travel. That's something I enjoy doing. But on more of a micro scale, um, my daily kind of treat yourself, uh, I like to cook. Um, the smells in the kitchen, the tasting, just kind of making recipes, just the mindfulness that goes into chopping vegetables and slicing and everything is just something that really kind of helps put me at ease and something that um, I know that. So I don't know if we've, I, 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 well, Hey everybody, I was thinking, you know, we have had a while since it's been a episode of goblin lore. Um, a lot of life events. One of which was I gave uh, my wife gave birth to a baby <laughs> girl. I did not. I did very little. Um, but uh, Gwendolyn Marie, we had a lot of family around and one of the things that family really wanted to do was to help out by cooking and cleaning and all this stuff when you know we're trying to get used to things which is great but by like the third day i really needed to cook like i just love cooking so it was really difficult for me when everybody was just like we'll cook for you i'm like no that's fine i would prefer you didn't so <laughs> that's long-winded i respect it yeah uh and i'm alex newman 
uh, can be found on Twitter at Alexander Newm. Um, and I, my answer, I'm, I'm going to go with something that's kind of new. Like, you know, my my first initial thought of how I, you know treat myself if it's with games or watching shows or things, because there's there's a lot of different media that I enjoy and consume. But that's kind of just a more normal thing that I do most of the time. Um, something new that I've I've started doing that I'm I'm really really enjoying is like a burning candles, like it like Yankee Candle or. There's all sorts of different store brands at Target. I found a Chesapeake Bay candle and like just these scented candles. And I have a Jasmine Boutique one going. Uh, wait, no, that that's the word bouquet, which makes a lot more sense um, when put together uh, that I'm burning right now. And it's, it's just something I found that I enjoy because I don't actually have a great sense of smell. And so for me, finding candles that I can actually smell a, it's nice to kind of have that that ambient smell. It's nice to have that little tiny flame. I mean, you got to have some tie to my goblin nature that I just light things on fire occasionally. Um, but also for me, like I literally, I'll go through my day and catch, you know, two, the scent of two, maybe three things or something. Like I just, smell is not really a part of my world most of the time. And so it's nice to find ways to kind of add that to my day and especially my space when I'm at home and I'm trying to relax and it's like well let's take this smell or that smell and kind of add that to what's going on it's it's burning things but it's delightfully burning things because as, as we'll get into later when we talk about burnout in, in real life and ways to deal with it it's a nice little preview finding ways to, to kind of treat yourself and finding a way that it can be very helpful to alleviating or treating burnout because that kind of burnout does not smell delightful or jasmine no but uh let's talk about nissa (laughs) talk about her backstory let's do that (laughs) so um just some some high some high notes because she's involved in a lot of things but uh nissa is an animist from the plane of zendikar she was an elf born there um and what it being an animist means is that not many elves and or druids and things have connection to nature, but an animist it goes deeper. She's not just connected to trees and animals; she feels the plane itself. And on Zendikar, that isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, Zendikar at the time was was playing uh, prison to the Eldrazi Titans, these massive powers of raw destruction and mana that were causing the plane like pain like the pain the plane was literally in pain and suffering as these these powerful things were just trapped inside of it and that caused um phenomenon known as the royal where terrain would just shift and other things going on in the plane um and because of you know the but the denizens of course of this plane didn't know that's what was causing these things um the the elves at least of of her particular village actually explain that phenomena their their understanding of it was that the the animists had done something to upset the plane and that's why it was lashing out so they when they learned of her connection and and her abilities she was ostracized and kicked out of her village Um, and i think this ties into kind of the backstory and the thread that we'll go through of of how she ultimately is experiencing what what we look at in the the Dominaria storyline and think is probably Nyssa being burned out. Um, So, well, now, without without 
her village and her people, she decides to start investigating this pain and figuring out why the planet is in pain because she can tell that much. She, with her connection, knows that it's in pain, but she doesn't know why and see if she can do something about it. Um, and that investigation led her to, to brushing up against Emrakul and Emrakul's mind of chaos and unfathomable and unfathomableness <laughs> and that trauma caused Nissa's spark to ignite. Um, this sent her to another world, the world of Lorwyn, where she found uh, different elves, and this was interesting, except those elves were, were, were kind of racist. Um, and then the plane of Lorwyn also has its own like pain and weird stuff going on um, with the Great Aurora, which was something that, that she discovered. I don't know a whole lot about the story of, of Lorwyn, and I think, Joe, you know more than me, because I, I actually stopped playing uh, right before Lorwyn <laughs> came out. Uh, long and short of it is that Lorwyn is a dual, in a dual phase magically, so it goes from bright and sunny and happy Lorwyn to dark and creepy and kind of messed up uh, Shadowmore once every, gosh, I think it's like 50 years or something. It's it stays that way for a while and then it flips um and that's just sort of the natural cycle but the queen of the fairies disrupted that natural cycle and decided to extend um the the sort the sort of uh phases so that she could control things i don't remember exactly why or how or whatever there's there's a lot of hand wavy wishy-washy magic things happening um as magic stories want to do and um but yeah, then it, it all kind of got really dark for a long time, and that really screwed up the the balance and the cycle of it all. So, I mean, what I think is funny too is I mean, it, so we we talked about this in the past, and Joe's going to get mad at me for not using the correct language, but you know, <laughs> Nissa drops herself into this world where the race, the the, the elf race, is very very racist. I mean, they make <laughs> they make the Tolkien elves look like tame. I mean, and oh, those yeah. guys. Yeah, the elves are really about like pride in their species, and like they're very special, special. Some might say specious, <laughs> speciesist. To see a speciesist, hmm. there's there are a lots of things, but what they are is they're they dicks. are not very open to other races. So Nissa drops herself kind of into this now world of that, and it's it's ironic too that actually that kind of factors a little into her backstory, which was retconned with the magic origins thing and, and kind of making her part of the gate watch, a part of the magic justice league. Um, but Nissa herself was kind of an elf supremacist on Zendikar when first conceived. And now she's obviously not, but you know, anyway, just a fun little tidbit there. Yeah. But it is where she ends up here now in Lorwyn. This is the next plane that she goes to. Yes. Lor- Lorwyn was the, the first plane that she went to, um, after her spark ignited, yeah, and and that story of of her spark igniting on Zendikar, going to Lorwyn, and then eventually going home, that was the origins, por- Nissa's portion of yeah. the magic origin story. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, after her time there, um, and experiencing some elves that she decides that maybe aren't greatest role models um she decides to go home and to see what she can do about this force that is in her plane because now even if it is terrible and terrifying she has at least some idea 
of what it is that's causing Zendikar so much pain. And so she gets back, she starts to find there's Eldrazi spawn that are kind of being released and doing some damage. Um, eventually she runs into Soren, who tries to get her to help. Um, and uh, so she's journeying with him for a little while. I, I think, and I can't remember, because I, I, I wasn't playing at this time either, she, it was had something to do with, with him being a planeswalker too, and like now she has this weird power that she doesn't understand. But... Um, so they are trying to stop the Eldrazi, while at the same time, uh, our, our, uh, our our good friend Bolas um, has guided uh, three different planeswalkers to the the Eye of Ugin. Um, <laughs> For Chandra, purely altruistic reasons, I mean, purely, he really wants to know what is going on in this plane, how yes, he can help. And he guided might be a strong word. Center. He's just making casual suggestions. Yes, yeah, they're just, just right. Dropping just dropping scrolls into somebody's <laughs> lap. Yeah. Um, so Jace, Chandra, and uh, and Sarkin all end up at the the Eye of Ugin, and I, they like say some mean things to each other or something, and then Chandra decides to use Ghost Fire, which is this colorless flame that I don't believe is actually trademarked by Ugin, but I think <laughs> he like helped to invent it or something. Don't so, cross a dragon's trademark. Don't even having, risk it. Having this ghost, you know, colorless fire in the eye with three planeswalkers, because it was three planeswalkers who originally locked them up, um, sort of opened the lock or something of, of the, the Eldrazi's prison. Now, it didn't actually fully release them. But what it did is it it made I think it opened the lock, but there was a final failsafe or something. So Soren and Nissa, Soren brought Nissa to the final failsafe, and through some circumstances he wanted her to activate it. I can't remember why he couldn't. I'm sure there was some reason. And then she decided that these things are hurting Zendikar. She doesn't want him here anymore, so she goes ahead and just lets him out. And that doesn't go so well um, <laughs> because her theory, her in her mind, for some reason, is that the, they would leave because they've been trapped here for so long. If I let them out, maybe they'll just go away. But I mean, they probably would have eventually, but they decided that Zendikar was a really tasty meal. And why leave a tasty meal to go pursue a different one when you can just eat this and leave then? so then that happened um and for a planeswalker or any magic user who's you know emotionally connected like emotionally and psychologically connected to her plane that ain't good for nissa no no that's not good at all and then you know then the ensuing war with the eldrazi trying to stop the planet from being destroyed was like all sorts of all all manner of trauma i'm sure and so Eventually, the Gatewatch end up there for their own the the what would eventually be the Gatewatch, a collection of planeswalkers, uh, namely Jace, Chandra, Gideon. The Gatewatch does the Gatewatch thing. Um, then they become the Gatewatch, and yeah, I'm going to use the word as different multiple types of words, which is a good sign that I need to move on to the next sentence. <laughs> so then they decide to uh, to take the show on the road and go to other planes because being planeswalkers, they, they can go and help other people. No one else really can in the multiverse. All these worlds have all these troubles and they're, those people are just stuck there having to deal with it, but the Gatewatch can go and try to help. 
So they decide that that's what they're going to do. Um, so for some reason, they end up on Innistrad, and it's horrible because that's what Innistrad <laughs> is. Yeah, I mean, you, they, they leave from this like world where this gothic horror—I mean, well, they, these eldritch kind of beasts to one of literally gothic horror. I mean, that's where they go next. Yeah, they, they go to the gothic horror world. I mean, and it, it was shocking because, lo and behold, the yeah. gothic horror literally shows up. Yeah, and, you know, and, and Jace has the biggest part in this story in the, in the first set in particular, but then um, it's towards the, uh, the end of the, the story when they're trying to, you know, surprise everyone. Everyone was surprised because Emma Cool shows up in Eldritch Moon. And now the Gatewatch has dealt with two Eldrazi's and they're trying to deal with the third. So uh, Nissa tries to, to tap the, the ley lines like she did on Zendikar in, in the final battle to deal with the Eldrazi. And that doesn't go so well on this plane because, well, Innistrad is kind of corrupt. Yeah. The ley lines. Well, you want to take that, Joe? Well, yeah. So the ley lines are kind of the like, if you think about um, sort of, you know, when we what we learned in basic geography about like the longitude and latitude lines, the meridians that theoretically stretch all the way across the world. Like, think about that. But those are like magical rivers, or like maybe even like real rivers, but except they're magic. And those are all kind of like woven into the fabric of these planes. And Nahiri, when she gets to Innistrad, took all those ley lines and warped them and messed them up so that she could summon Emrakul to the plane as vengeance against Sorin. And then put Sorin in a rock. Um, she didn't need the ley lines for that. That was just a nice little cherry on top and take that Sorin. Um, she's just really good at rocks. She's good at rocks. Great skill. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so when when Nissa gets to Innistrad, she feels how warped the ley lines of the plane are and how corrupted and sort of dissonant the magic is on the plane for a plane that already has, like, crazy dissonant magic because, you know, vampires and devils and and werewolves and all sorts of crazy stuff happening. Yeah. So, so Nissa basically steps out of the frying pan into the fire. Right. She yes. leaves stress right back into stress. Exactly. And and then from there, like, she ends up on a city. So, like, the next thing is they, they end up in Kaladesh. I know they, they spent a little time at Ravnica in between, um, which, of course, is a big giant city, which probably wasn't great for her to go to Kaladesh, where there's a big giant city. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's that, but in the middle of a really nerdy inventors fair too, she yeah. probably really hated that. Oh, all these stupid inventions and yeah, like wearing yeah. gears and she's just sitting there yeah. with a disenchant, you know, waiting like, oh, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this. I think it would be naturalized, Joe. Disenchant's a white spell. I'm gonna go fracturing gust. That's both. So then, <laughs> in the city world, in she um. Oddly, ironically, maybe I don't really want to touch that word because then you get people who are all upset about it. Um, so Isn't it ironic she... how upset people get about it. <laughs> oh gosh! She... I wonder how much of the Alanis Morissette I can put into this without us getting sued. <laughs> just, don't you just have to like break it up so it's just a few seconds at a time? Yeah, it's. Like... I don't know. I don't know how copyright works. Well, okay. copyright, copyright. It's like 
rain on your wedding day. Oh, is that what it's like? Is that what going to Kaladesh is? Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I'm not going to keep this bit going. <laughs> wow, I am thankful. Uh, so, in any event, she, she actually, despite first hating this world, discovers that of all the worlds she's been to, there is like their greatest actual balance between nature and the city and this wonderful flow through the aether a thing that a force that she ignored to begin with but the the aether which is you know a fuel source used for these inventions is a place where there are sky whales living like i think the there's the the allusion to the fact that it's probably more complex and more there's more going on with it than they really the people on the plane even realize um and i think nissa kind of taps into some of that where it's part of this natural cycle for the plane and she actually finds this this place that's a a great i don't know if calming is exactly the right term but a place where she found some beauty and some some nice things to which was probably a nice follow-up to my home is in pain. Oh, I found a planet that kind of sucks and is also hurting. Now I'm on a plane where everything is bad. And now she's on this fourth fourth world where there's actually a balance to it all. But wait, uh, there's more. But wait. She, yes. Remember how we and, talked about messed up ley lines? Just you wait until we get to Amonkhet. Yes. Uh, messed up ley lines on, on Innistrad were were uh, child's play compared to to what happened on Amonkhet, um, which was where they ended up going next. Uh, through the events of Kaladesh, they, the Gatewatch learned you know, that Bolas is up to stuff, and they're starting to get some glimpse of just how far-reaching his plans are. And they decide, uh, against the advice of Ajani, who once fought Nicole Bolas, that the best thing to do would be to go right to the middle of Bolas's plans on the plan, the plane of Amonkhet and see if they could break him. Are you saying that once again, like I've tried to say numerous times, Bolas just wants to be left alone? I, I think that is exactly what I'm saying that had the Gatewatch not gone to Amonkhet, nothing bad would have happened. Right. To right. them at least. I mean, the plane probably would still have been in trouble, but. Well, you know, now I mean, you're, you're, you're splitting you hairs know, now. You're right. You know, I can't really speak for the the citizens of Amonkhet. Maybe getting a nice shiny pair, a set of blue armor, <laughs> have been beneficial to all of them. I think the real lesson here is: please listen to your cat, Dad. He just wants yeah. the best for you. That is actually an episode that's coming eventually. <laughs> so, on Amonkhet, <laughs> Nissa finds another planet with twisted and and mangled ley lines. Only this time, far more serious far more sinister um far more expert i mean bolus is an expert at yeah seriously like nahiri took the ley lines of innistrad and warped them to her ends but that kind of like backed up and screwed up all the mana on the plane nicole bolus saw that and was like hold my beer and instead just like basically reshaped the fabric of amonkhet like he completely remade the reality on amonkhet which is incredible and in one of my like favorite little story bits, they're they're talking about this, and um, they actually kind of echo back to that in M nineteen because this is right as the right as um, the mending is happening. So Bolas knows he's losing his his god, you know, 
unlimited godlike powers of, as being a planeswalker. And so he decides to set a plan in motion, a plan that we're still finding out what it is. Um, and he goes to Amonkhet, and with these powers that are left, he changes the plane to fit what he needs. And I love, so one of the things that kind of, one of the ways that I've kind of been interacting with magic over the last few years is I've been picking up uh, pack foils of every story spotlight card. And then I have just a binder where I kind of have the story starting in Kaladesh because then they even had the tokens that numbered them. At -hmm. least they did then. I think with the Ravnica ones, now they're not numbering the cards. They don't have that. But to kind of tell the story of these sets. And when we got to M19, it's the first set since Kaladesh where they didn't have the story spotlight cards. Mm -hmm. But what they did have is a trio of cards in Bolas's colors that were... Uh, one mythic, two rares that were just kind of big, splashy spells that told the story of what he did on Amonkhet. And so you have Apex of Power, which is some ludicrous sorcery in red that lets you do things and has wonderful... All, all these have some great Bolas referencing flavor text. Apex of Power has Nicole Bolas being quoted as saying, As I desire, so it shall be. Probably my favorite name of any magic card ever is the second one. Okay. Which is a black sorcery called Fraying Omnipotence. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is just so evocative. It's wonderful. I just, it is so wonderful. And then it references in the flavor text, the great mending that healed the multiverse also unraveled the threads of Nicole Bolas's power. And then finally in this one, he is, is the final piece is patient rebuilding. Um, and by the way, all of these have sweet art that looks so good in foil. And, Patient rebuilding, uh, the flavor text says, Nicole Bolas would not rest until he was restored to his former glory. Which is k- kind of cool to give us this this just a little glimpse into what Bolas is doing. But that just kind of shows you, like, that planet was messed up. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. Bolas showed up with godlike powers at the, at the beginning and worked in a hurry while these powers lasted to carve what he needed this place to be as a tool towards his ultimate goals. And, and part of that was yeah. reshaping the gods that were part of the plane, that are actual mana, raw mana tied to the plane and twisted to fit his ends. Mm-hmm. And Nyssa shows up again. And one thing that we have to realize is this is not a long period of time. No. This is actually a fairly short period of time that all of this is going on. Like in universe, this is maybe two years, right? And and you know, the, there's a lot of the gate watch kind of involved, but we have Nissa really being at I think the forefront of this bouncing around from plane to plane, especially given her sparking from such a kind of tough situation with inadvertently assisting the Eldrazi. To then end up basically back um, in in Lorwyn, and now she's just going place to place. Ah, it's just it's just and just it's finding out, she, just finding out. Yeah. I think too, like she doesn't get the experience of seeing all these beautiful worlds, all these different, all these very different worlds, and seeing like, oh wow, this one is different from the other because of this. Like Jace, I think can at least like sort of intellectually study these new planes um yeah. gideon can sort of like 
understand the structure and the society on each of these new planes you know chandra can experience like enjoy some of the experiences and and all this sort of stuff and nissa her first reaction to all of these planes is oh my gosh there is so much pain here yes you know and and i think that's like encapsulated when the group gets to dominaria you know which is which is where everything kind of blows up and she chews out the gate watch or what's left of the gate watch and and bounces because dominaria you know as as we as long time fans of the game know at least um it, it has suffered cataclysm after apocalypse after devastation time and time again over millennia and don't think that Nissa can't feel every single layer of that. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, it's only just once we get to this this set too that it's finally starting to rebuild and rebound after all of these horrible events. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think too that 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 perspective that she has, I think that's why she reacts that way. Is she feels the pain of Dominaria and she feels the like the horrible things that have happened around and and that the gate watches is having to do and she bounces she doesn't really see the rejuvenation which i think she would be able to feel if she hadn't gone through all of these other corrupted and devastated planes just prior Mm -hmm. you know i think i think her filter is kind of set to that once she gets there yeah and, and I think another thing that isn't helping is the fact that I don't think she really has knows how to deal with people. No, she was uh, she was you know ostracized from her village relatively young age. I, I can't remember the exact age, but young enough that that would have had an impact on how she interacts with people and how she gets along with others, and especially if she's, she's got this connection to planes. Yeah, so. When now all of a sudden she's in a group that's working towards ends, but they're not necessarily working towards ends in a way that she, you know, she, so she's going to all these places that she doesn't necessarily think that they should be, or maybe she, she does, but she doesn't care, you know, that she's kind of getting swept along a little bit, and um, then dealing with these people, and then you get to the the whole thing with Liliana, who kind of. Well, not really necessarily trick, but she definitely pushed to bring the Gatewatch to Amonkhet so she could deal with one of her demons there, one of the demons that she'd made a pact with. And so when the group gets to Dominaria, I'm sure Nyssa is not feeling great because this planet and all of those apocalypse going back thousands of years, um, even before the time of Urza, so we can't even blame them all on him. And... She- <laughs> Then she has she finds out that Liliana is here for her last demon, and it's like, well, no, you know what? I'm I'm done dealing with her. Um, I think she even says something like, "Yeah, you all can get killed by her, but I'm gone." I, I, I she, part, the reason that she gives, and I'm sure it was it was definitely a part of it, is that she's like, "I'm not dealing with Liliana and her demons anymore and her manipulation." Yeah, and. And she she's leaves and 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 also through this whole thing and she's going to all these planes too. Her homeworld, like no longer under threat of Eldrazi, but it's not in a good place. It it is in hor it's horrible condition and terribly damaged. And so the whole time she's going to these other planes, it's like in her head I'm betting there's the voice of why am I here helping them with this? I should be back home helping 
recover. I should yeah, be right. back home helping to rebuild. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's that's gotta weigh on you. When you can feel the pain of, of an entire plane, when you can feel the pain of your of your conscience, you know, all of that, you don't you kinda don't get that respite, you know, you don't get that chance to to rejuve to rejuvenate yourself, to revive. We've kind of led into this a little bit, talking about this concept and this idea of burnout. Um, I mean, I think that it leads very nicely to kind of Nissa's story is a good jumping off point for this because burnout is something that I think we've all experienced and we've talked a lot what? about on the cast. I know this is going to be shocking <laughs> to everybody, but I mean, you know, even recently we've all kind of had this. You mean that month long hiatus we took was not just because it was blizzarding and we couldn't mail each other, each of these audio files. I mean, <laughs> that was probably a good part of it. Oh, but okay. Yeah. What, what, yeah. But the question becomes, you know, what was that? You know, what, 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 right. what, what was going on? I mean, we had, like you said, there was blizzards, there was job stuff. We all had different job things that were going on in our lives there's been a lot going on to the point of kind of having to talk about this as a cast and being very open about what our experiences are about, you know, the time that we do have, how we allocate it, how we take care of ourselves because we find it to be such an important project. And we do find it to be something that is, I would say a net good for us, but it is still stressful. I mean, it is still the, I mean, there's still burnout from anything that you do as much as you enjoy doing it there's going to be burnout and uh alex you kind of recommended this idea you kind of came up with a big portion of what we wanted to do here and so i think this was a great place for us to start because nissa is such a good example of what somebody who is so caring and thoughtful and and because of that may be putting herself at more of a proneness to burnout Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we want to talk about kind of let's I'll just give a quick definition. At least this is this is this is my definition, and and you guys kind of speak up depending on what you, what you think of this. But have that burnout burnout is a feeling of mental and physical exhaustion. It's feeling uh, de- debilitated, detached, and unable to continue caring or coping. How does that that seem to fit for with you guys? I mean. That's a pretty solid definition right there. I'll choose that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's, there's lots of ways to kind of get there. Um, so stress is a thing. Stress is a, is a factor that can cause it. Um, it can occur for all sorts of reasons, but, you know, it's tied to things that cause pain, uh, worry and doubt. Um, burnout is a, this overall generalized feeling of exhaustion and being unable to deal with a situation in general. So, and, so stress is kind of the input, burnout's kind of the output. Is that a, a reasonable? I, I think, yeah. I, I think there's other things can can cause some burnout, but stress is definitely the biggest factor. Um, okay. I, I suppose maybe I'm wrong on that because I can't think of another one. But you know, I, I know I get burnout on things because I'm worrying about stuff, and I know tied to to my anxiety sometimes, I'll get burnout on even things I enjoy. You know, burnout on games or whatever because I'm. So here's a weird little picture into my personality. <laughs> um, I I have some like compulsive collecting things. I mean, I'm, I'm a magic player, of course, <laughs> and um, I also have this like very structure 
portion of my personality that wants to do things in an ordered way. Um, so I like, for instance, with a lot of modern game systems, you have achievement systems or trophies on the, the PlayStation. And so there are times where like, I really like these systems because it, it gives me a way to feel like I'm working towards something, even when I'm just doing a hobby. And so on the positive end of those systems, it encourages me to go do things in the game I might not otherwise do because I want to go get that achievement. It, um, it can give me that sense of accomplishment or sense of progression as I'm working towards things. But it can also push me to do things that I'm not finding fun. And doing those things for an extended period of time can cause burnout. And I just decide that I can't play this game anymore. I don't want to play this games. I've just stopped playing video games for periods of time because I've become more wrapped up in hitting goals that I set for myself than having fun. And it becomes not fun anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I think it's a slightly different angle towards this but similar uh, a similar idea of getting burned out on something you enjoy or something positive i mean hobbs you were talking about this on twitter the other day and and this is something that i completely agree with i think you and i have both this past couple weeks like we both had very big positive uh changes in our lives but those have both been exhausting changes for you, it was the uh, advent of Miss Guinevere David Hobbs. <laughs> that's her. That's her Great legal. For, that's her yes. legal God-given name. Yeah, um, I mean, it's her legal really, goblin lore name. That's it her was legal really, God-given name. <laughs> I mean, it was really odd. I have to admit this when we got the um, uh, social security card in the mail, and that's what it said on it. Was not expecting it. Flat out, will tell you, was not expecting that. I've got pull in, in uh, various government agencies. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so baby Gwen came along and has been, I'm sure, one of the hugest joys of your life. But that's a tiresome thing to have to deal with. And for, uh, you know, the, the Finhorn family, it's been, you know, finding and negotiating to get a house, which we finally uh, just did this, this past week. Uh, but that even in and of itself it is it's a tiresome process you know and there's so many things to think about and so much to to have to do involved with that and so i mean yeah each of those things has led to really positive and really exciting and really joyous outcomes but man those are tiring things <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and, and I will say, too, that um, kind of along this line is one of the things that's interesting and we talk to from kind of a from a psychological perspective when we're talking about psychology. Um, stress is a common topic that we discuss. Um, stress in general. Uh, you kind of alluded to the input versus output type of thing. Stress itself can come from, as you've said, positive life events, negative life events. We often talk about the fact that stress in, in and of itself is not a bad thing. Stress no. actually can be very motivating. Stress can get us to do, you know, the things that we need to do in our lives, um, can make us a lot more effective at whatever we're trying to accomplish our goals. You need to have some sort of stress, actually. If you don't have stress, you actually have the chance of kind of, you know, if, if you don't have the need to, um, like a deadline or something that's a pressure, odds are you may never accomplish anything because there's no 
sense of urgency. There's nothing driving that. Um, so we talk about that kind of a lot in psychology about this idea that you need to have some level of stress that is actually something that you need. Um, now, when we're talking about burnout, it's because positive or negative, the stress has gotten to the point where Alex kind of said it is exhausting and you cannot kind of cope with it. Your strategies are no longer working. It's, it, it is a concept that people, I think, ignore in some ways, um, which I think can lead to people not doing what they need to do when things are going well or they have exciting things going on in their lives. Uh-huh. Um, they don't necessarily want to acknowledge the fact that that can come with incredible stress that can lead them to burnout, to lead them to disengaging from areas of their life. So... I think we've we've kind of talked about how to identify, you know, what it is. It's it's these feelings of being unable to to cope, or these feelings of detachment. Um, so let's kind of go into some some ways to mitigate it. As we talked about at the opening, um, so I mean, there's there's strategies to mitigate it, to maybe to help prevent it. I mean, it's of you're going to have some of these things happen, and then you have the strategies when that happens to to kind of deal with it, to come back from the burnout. Um, yeah, we actually oftentimes draw this line between coping with versus preventing, knowing that there are certain things that you can prevent, but you're never going to prevent all of it. And as I said, you it probably isn't a good idea if you want to make changes or if you want to be doing new things. It probably isn't good to completely eliminate stress. So there has to be different strategies for prevention versus coping with. See, I, I knew if I stumbled around that, you'd come in with a much more eloquent way of saying what I was trying to say. Because we're in like you'd, you'd get what I was trying to go for yeah. and then like help yeah. me out there. So I, I really appreciate that. This You're entire welcome. podcast I mean, is just a bunch of goblins stacked up with a trench coat over it. One, some, <laughs> one of us will reach the top shelf. Are you calling us all short? I think we all are. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's... He calls it like he sees it because he's low to the ground like the rest of us. <laughs> this is kind of the the kernel that I wanted to build this podcast. I built this podcast around um, is is a way to help prevent uh, burnout, which is is motivating. Excuse me, cultivating multiple personal identities. Um, it's a thing I don't think a lot of people think about, at least in, in this context. We talk about identity in, in, in some very specific contexts, but things like an identity uh, as your job. You know, my, I work in treasury. My identity as a person who works in treasury um, for an insurance company, which I missed the whole jobs and uh, guild structure thing. So I mentioned to Joe, my job's Orzov. As hell. <laughs> I just have to share that. I'm in, I'm in the treasury department of a financial company. Yeah. It is the money people of the money people. Wow. So banks on is banks. There another guild? Is there like are you there's like a guild underneath a guild there. Like yes. you're wow. Like your so, company is like the public face of the Orzov. You're the sketchy Orzov. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So then in addition to that, you know, I, I have my identity through my hobbies. Like as a gamer, uh, I, I play a lot of like Dungeons and Dragons, and um, as a Magic player, as a member of this podcast. Um, but I, you know, and, and I draw identity with uh, from my relationships that I have with my parents, my family, um, my sister and and her kids, my friends, and all of these are different um, p- 
pieces of the whole of, of me, but each of them is an identity of who of who I am. And that helps to mitigate if if work is going crappy. I can come and talk to these two goblins and we can do a thing and and that's still a part of who I am. And even if work isn't great, there's more aspects to my life and more aspects to who I am so that I don't feel so that burnout it doesn't happen as quickly or as or maybe as as widespread one of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes is this idea of black or white there's these mm-hmm. dichotomies where we've said from very early on i mean from basically episode one that almost nothing exists at those extremes that there are dimensions to all of us that there's intersections i mean it's the whole idea that people sometimes struggle with, I think, when thinking about privilege or thinking about um, diversity, is that there are intersections that right. you know that you you can acknowledge the fact that you can be privileged in one area while not in another, and those are going to overlap in a specific area. That somebody can be experiencing just harassment along more than one axis. It isn't just because they are a certain way and it's one thing about them it it oftentimes is how those things interplay with each other it's why this idea of um just the multiple identities as you said alex is so important i think because a lot of us are used to at least i can think of myself in the past thinking of myself very monolithically and i think i had a lot less ability to cope and deal with things when i saw myself that way uh, you've talked about this a lot, Alex, of toxic fandom uh-huh. oftentimes grows out of this when somebody's identity is so intermeshed and tied to one thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I think it's makes sense to me, you know, that if, if someone's identity is wrapped up into a single thing or a very small selection of things, any change to that or an attack to that could feel like a threat or mm-hmm. an attack to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, I have a friend who, um, what was I talking to him about? Some movie, the, the details of it don't actually matter, but I kind of had to tiptoe around the fact that I'm like, well, I think it was a good movie in general, but I really didn't like some of these things. And he had to take a step away because he loved this thing and it was great. And it was, it kind of hurt him that I wasn't a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think a much more extreme version of that is, is, something that contributes to toxic fandom these people who have decided that this property is so tied to them that changes to it are tantamount to a threat to them we like to have some sort of actionable advice so we talked about the multiple identities as being maybe a protective factor a way that if you have those built in you might be able to do a little bit better of kind of coping when it comes up or even preventing some of the stress that's in your life because you have these other areas that you can lean on sort of like Um, social circuit breakers right right and alex you had mentioned kind of wanting to talk about like what are some ideas what are some ways that we can cope with or deal with burnout once we've identified it because once again identification is the first step Mm -hmm. i mean i would say that's actually probably very very important if you're not used to doing you need to people i think could do better at starting to identify what's causing the stress or the burnout because if there isn't if you don't know what's causing it you're not going to be able to do anything about it mm-hmm. it's as simple as that yep yeah and and identifying it really is is the most significant thing because like i think the 
by and large, the best ways to deal with it are the simple things that people understand. If something's causing you stress in a, in a harmful way, try to take a step away from it. Or maybe identify what exactly it is about it that's causing you stress. If you're not enjoying playing Magic because this one person in your group isn't great or because this one thing isn't great, see what you can do about that one element. Maybe talk to the person, maybe talk to other people, maybe try playing with someone else. If it's your deck, try a different deck. I mean, there's there's lots of ways, if it's smaller things, to, to try to mitigate around it. Taking a break is not necessarily a bad thing. And I would like to caution or make kind of just a statement here that there is a difference between avoidance and taking a break. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've talked about this in the past, um, especially with social anxiety, PTSD, uh, avoidance kind of generalizes whatever you're feeling to more than one situation. Avoidance could actually cause it to be worse. Mm-hmm. Taking a break is not the same thing as avoidance. Now, they could look the same because you will be avoiding or you will be staying away from certain elements. You're doing it in a purposeful manner that you are aware of. Um, you need to be aware of the fact that you're doing it. And ideally, you are doing it with the idea that you will come back to whatever it is if it is something that is important to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good distinction. I thank you for that because that that fits into quite nicely to some of the the things I've dealt with with my social anxiety. Like that was a long string of avoidances that were not conscious choices, and that started to lead to really a narrowing of my world and and then it was when i started to make those conscious choices to go out into things is where that opened up and and i think burnout is is something similar if you make intentional choices to step away from things or intentional choices to change how you are interacting with those things um that can help to remove or or deal with the burnout yeah now at at the end of the day there's still going to be situations that we either cannot step away from or that we have to be able to cope with or work with because we just don't have options um Mm -hmm. family relationships that are important to you or other relationships can be this way uh work work. yeah um (laughs) you know like you know it's it's very difficult to just be like just quit your job go get a new one (laughs) like we've got a great economy right now. You could find a new job in 10 seconds. Like, okay, that's not really going to teach me how to deal with burnout because jobs are stressful and I'm going to probably never going to be in a job. That's not going to have some element of burnout. Right. Uh So then it becomes, you know what? I'm just curious. So have you guys tried things to stay in the environment and to still cope with it or, for the, the most part, my burnout at, at work is the big one, is has been transitory in things that I know are only going to last for a certain amount of time. So for me, it's, it's less been trying to treat the actual burnout and more it's like identifying I am currently burned out. Now I'm going to take steps to mitigate the effects of it until I can kind of weather the storm and then things calm down. Um, and so, and that can be small things like, like candles, for instance, <laughs> um, like, you know, taking a bath, taking some time to do something like that. Um, I have literally taken my 15 minute break at work to put on headphones and listen to very loud music sometimes. And that was what I needed to break up that time of that, that continuous, you know, hours in the afternoon of stress and dealing with things 
and give me 15 minutes where I close my eyes, I listen to something loud, and then I go back to deal with the rest of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned it's, it's um, doing things like taking your break at work, you know, if that is possible to do. Um, it's reminding yourself that you need to step up. And I, I now do my stretches that I need to do as I'm an old man. Um, I try to do them at work at times when I notice that I am being less than productive than I need to be. Um, or want to be. So I will try to do my stretches or I will make sure that I go for a walk, even if it's just to get a cup of coffee or to do something. Um, it's stepping away from my desk, but I'm still in the environment. I'm, I'm not like taking a break from work for days on end. I'm reframing, okay, this needs to get done, but I can't do it in the state of mind that I'm in right now. Yeah, and it, that's something that... Uh that they explicitly trained us to do it, it, my work at the post office too is, you know, it, say, you know, the last, whatever, the last block you dropped a whole stack of letters and they, you know, it's, it seems like they got all got out of order and you got flustered and frustrated and all that sort of stuff. The first thing that my trainer said to do is stop, take a breath, look at how they spilled work them backwards to get them back into a stack and keep going. And then if you're still frustrated at the end of that block, take your 10 minute break, take that time off to just say, okay, I need to reset. That's it. I really thought you were going to say that he taught you to say, stop, drop, shut them down, open up shop. Oh no. That's how rough riders roll. Uh, no, it's a little more like a free ride uh, when you've already paid. <laughs> that was a Great long payoff. That is a good callback. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think to uh, another thing that I've, I've done to sort of cope with burnout, uh, um, you know, listening to things to help take your mind off of it. Um, you know, taking a break and, and stepping just maybe maybe not away necessarily but to the side of the problem for a second before you go back and confront it um for me too it's also looking for those little elements of positives so you know a lot lately at work i've been getting a lot of extra work thrown on top of me and having to still get it all out in the same amount of time because that's just where we're at right now and um the thing that I've tried to do specifically is find these small moments where I can, you know, enjoy something, whether it's, Oh, Hey, look, the sun came out at this moment. That's cool. That's, that feels nice. Or, you know, seeing a cardinal sitting in a tree because fortunately I work outside so I can take a lot of nature things, um, as my positive moments, or maybe the podcast I'm listening to makes a, a particularly funny joke, you know, and, and just, you know, appreciating that moment or, you know, I don't know. There's, there's just a lot of small things you can do. And, and, and I think it looking for those tiny moments of positivity or joy or beauty can really help to under you know to to sort of pull the jenga blocks out from underneath the the stress and what you know will lead to you burning out mm-hmm. yeah and and i think the um you mentioned in the podcast things what made me think of this but the, the multiple identities thing can help because you know there are days where work is 
terrible, but I got to listen to two hours of a book that I was listening to and I really enjoyed. And or you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna deal with this, and then when I get home, I'm gonna go do this thing in this game that I've been waiting to do for a while. And I've been building towards, or um, all you know, there's all sorts of ways when you have other things to to look forward to in in your life, other things going on. It gives you that outlet, the, the the circuit breakers you said, Joe, to kind of help to to relieve some of that stress, to to sink as kind of a heat sink to put some of that stress into. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, it's some good advice that you just didn't take, and who would have thought it? Figures. That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. Goblin Lore is hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander Newem. Engineering and editing for this episode was done by Joe Redman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Our music is by Wintergatten, who you can find at Wintergatten, that's Winter, G-A-T-A-N, dot com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is a member of the Geek Therapy Network, which you can check out at geektherapy.com or at geektherapy on Twitter. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>